Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's Health Department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Preeti Malani, the Chief Health Officer of the University of Michigan. She is the lead health advisor for the entire campus. We are talking about how the university made a decision to shut down a few weeks ago and what it would take to open up again this fall. Let's listen. Dr. Malani, thank you so much for joining me. Can you tell me a little bit about what your job is at the University of Michigan? Sure, and thank you for having me. My role is as the university's chief health officer, and so it's a great role because I advise the president of the university and the executive officers on really all aspects of health and well-being. Uh, It's a double bonus because our president happens to be a physician, actually a graduate of Johns Hopkins, MD, PhD. So that that makes my job very interesting and uh, quite fun. And your professional background? So I am an infectious disease physician. So I'm a professor of medicine. I actually take care of patients for a portion of my time. And I'm also trained in, in geriatrics. Great. So walk us through what happened in, gosh, it was just a few weeks ago. Yes. You know, when you decided to send students home. Yeah. So, so Josh, it's really interesting. Like you said, it was just a few weeks ago and in some ways it feels like a lifetime and in other, other times it feels like it went really fast. We started paying attention to coronavirus, novel coronavirus before it was called COVID back in January. And some of the initial things we did was just really checking on the safety and well-being of our students and faculty staff who were in China and you know, brought them home as the concerns grew there and then uh, subsequently brought home folks from Korea and really started thinking about what campus might look like if things progressed in the United States. And, you know, it seemed like within a matter of a couple weeks, things really moved fast. Uh, One of the things that made it interesting in Ann Arbor is that we, uh, our semester ends early, and so our spring break is early. And so our students were on spring break at the end of February. And in fact, the Italy designation came out the day before spring break which is good because I think a lot of students changed their plans based on just what's happening there. And the week that they were away, we spent a lot of time as a team just trying to make decisions about what the rest of the semester might look like. And at that point, there had not been any documented presumptive cases in the state of Michigan, but things were heating up, particularly on the West Coast in the Bay Area and then Seattle. And, you know, lo and behold, the students came home. They started class on Monday. On Tuesday evening, uh, Governor Whitmer had a press conference announcing the first couple of presumptive cases in Michigan. And we spent really a lot of time as a team talking and planning and looking at what other schools were doing too, but really thinking about what was the right thing for our, our university. And we made a decision to sort of disperse them at that point and uh, suspended classes for a couple of days to give faculty a chance to, to sort of make that pivot to remote learning and give students a a chance to figure out what they were gonna do in terms of going home. It did take a little bit to empty out campus, 
and the state's um, recommendations continued to, to help with that. Would it be fair to say that it was sort of a difficult decision for a while and then it became easier as the situation progressed so rapidly? Yes. I, you know, anytime you're you're making a decision like that, and of course, there's a lot of loss for the students to, to lose that face to face. But in retrospect, I'm really proud of the timing. I'm proud of like the heavy lift that we all made because it, it was a difficult decision. It wasn't one that was uh, taken lightly. So speaking of difficult decisions, um, you're thinking probably about the summer, particularly the fall, and whether it will make sense to bring students back. And I know that there are an awful lot of students who are really wondering what is going to happen in the fall. So yeah. I want, I, and I know no decision has been made, but I, I want to maybe get inside what you're thinking a little bit about, you know, maybe first we could talk about what your concerns might be and then, you know, what if students are able to come back in the fall, how college might look a little bit different. Is that okay? Yeah, that, that's great. And, and again, uh, we focus so much on sort of ramping down campus and then on the health system side, taking care of patients. Unfortunately, things have, have settled down a little bit. And now we're starting to think about what reopening might look like. And again, we're waiting for direction from uh, our governor on some of this, but we are actually anticipating before the fall of having a chance to probably reopen aspects of campus, including likely the research labs. And hopefully we'll get a chance to, um, to think about some of these things in that process. And we are beginning to think about that. And, and uh, as you said, Josh, no decision's been made for the fall, but I have to say that you know, our hope is that we can find a way to safely have some residential component to the fall. And I think our other big 10 schools are thinking around the same things. So tell me about like, you know, what are the concerns? Why not just say, oh, everybody comes back? I mean, what, what, why hesitate at all? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I guess the biggest concern is, is if there's ongoing transmission at a high level in the community, it wouldn't make sense to, it wouldn't be really safe. And it's not just the 50,000 students that we're going to be bringing back to campus, but it's also the faculty and staff and everyone that they interact with. And of course, college campuses are, are um, a complicated place because of it is difficult to socially distance. And in fact, you don't want people to socially distance. You want them to interact. So the way I'm starting to think about this, and again, it's, it's sort of a theoretical construct, but let's kind of think of best case scenario that we get through this, um, this surge across the country. Everyone has been working very hard to prevent spread. And let's say we do, we do that and things settle down and maybe the warmer weather also helps us. And we have good surveillance programs in place. Testing has picked up. And we're seeing mild to very limited spread. So I think that would need to be in place. And I'm going to, just for the sake of this exercise, let's say that that is going on. The other piece we would really need is a system to be able to quickly identify and not so much treat, but to quarantine and isolate people who become sick. And that piece is also in place. And I actually was inspired by your, your editorial from last week with Howard. Faulkner and, and JAMA talking about that army of public health volunteers that could really do the kind of contact tracing and mitigation efforts that would be important. And we are starting to think about that. And um, we're really fortunate. We have an excellent school public health and they've really been great partners. And whatever we do will be sort of hand in hand and public health informed. But so we're thinking about what, what would that require to sort of have our own, for lack of a better term, but like our own public health department because I know that the Washtenaw County Health Department won't really be able to support us at the kind of level that we would really need to be safe. 
I see. So, 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 so you're thinking about, okay, what are the conditions that are necessary for us to consider doing it? That's really where your mind is right now. Yeah. And you've got low level of transmission, strong public health response capacity. And then um, let's say you get those two things in place. You're ready to move forward. You're bringing students back to campus. Yeah. You know, does it look exactly the same as last year or, or what kinds of things generally do you think might be different? Yeah. So uh, my, my, uh, my hunch is that it would look different. And I think the biggest thing would be likely limitations on large gatherings. And that's a hard thing. Do you have any large gatherings at the University of Michigan <laughs> you know, on a regular we, basis in the fall? Yeah, we do. We do have large gatherings. Sometimes I even participate in those large gatherings. Uh, but, you know, actually, there's large gatherings in the classroom. There's large gatherings in uh, recreation facilities, in the library. It's the way we eat, the way we study. So it's actually like one big, large gathering. Uh, one thing that for us is it's mostly our first year students that live in the residence halls. And then usually they disperse after that and live in various settings, either on their own or with a couple roommates or potentially in sorority and fraternity life. I think um, they'll likely, my, my hunch is that there would likely be some limits on, on gatherings. That doesn't make it easier to use the buses, for example, which are necessary on our campus. So I think assuming we move forward, we'll have to put some thought into how do you make it as safe as possible? And, and one of the questions I have that I think we'll have more clarity on is just the the use of personal protective equipment. Right now, there's a recommendation around cloth masks. My friends in Iowa are really excited about these face shields, which, you know, it sounds a, a little cumbersome, but potentially that could be something we could think about. And it's not just students, it's actually protecting faculty, it's protecting staff. So we'll have to see where we land. I, I hope that we will have um, a situation where we understand better how to mitigate it. The other piece I think we have going for us is, um, is some of the things that have changed and just in terms of the fastidiousness around personal hygiene, hand hygiene, there's simple things like washing your hands before you eat, not touching your face, you know, I think I saw I think I saw an ID study that might have been college students at the University of Michigan where they randomized the dorms. They, you know what? That was an influenza study yeah, and <laughs> from several years ago, and I think that it actually didn't show benefit to the mass. I think it did show benefit. It did. I have to look it back. For, yeah, I, I just read it. It was for both hand washing and masks. The dorms that were randomized to wearing masks with intensive hand washing had dramatically less influenza. That is um, a great reminder. And I know one of the issues with masks that people talk about is the ability to contaminate yourself. And at this point, with just supply chain issues, we are talking more about cloth masks, homemade masks. I don't know, we could envision something that could be part of your, you know, welcome to Michigan pad package. But again, I think that um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll have more guidance in terms of what does actually work in the community setting in terms of mitigation. And, and do you think like if someone starts coughing, you quickly diagnose them with uh, COVID um, but, and they're not that sick, do you think maybe they go to another building or something that you, you set up some place for them to go so they're out of like a residential situation with, with other students? So we did get some practice doing this in the spring because before we dispersed, we were thinking about people coming back from locations where they had to quarantine. We had students coming back from overseas travel and so we actually do have a system in place where we can quarantine people. It's actually kind of far away from central campus. So, um, you know, it, it, it feels like a, a little bit of a quarantine just by location. 
but I both quarantine and, and also taking care of people who are who are sick and need to be isolated. And then the testing capacity, because Michigan Medicine has focused on this, we do have pretty good testing capacity. And I suspect over time, many places in the country will have the point of care testing. And you and I have talked a little bit about serology, which I think if you asked me a month ago, I was more excited about it. But some of the initial data coming out from Seattle, and I haven't seen this published, but I've, I've just seen some um, hints around it, is that the, the serology data suggests that it's a pretty small portion of the population that's been exposed. So we'll have to see. So it may not give you a, a lot of confidence in, yeah. in, in opening up big gatherings again. And do you think that it may be the case that every class, no matter how small, even if it's in person, might be recorded just in case it's someone has to get quarantined or something like that so that they can yeah. watch. Like you might have to prepare a little differently for in-person classes. I, I think the preparation would really require a system that could be nimble so that if you have to pull that switch, I would hope that if if we can figure out ways to safely have people spaced out and we're a big campus, but we also have a lot of people. My own hunch is that I, I think the days of those huge classrooms are probably limited and, and uh, one of the benefits of the current remote learning has been that people have adjusted to that. And I think, uh, again, our incoming students, most of them have graduated this year or going to graduate. Um, they've lost a lot. Like they lost the end of their senior year. They uh, didn't go to prom. They didn't go to graduation in person. And so this is probably something that this, this idea that I'm trying to think about is a social contract because everyone's going to have to to follow the rules and take care of each other. And uh, I, I think that this is something that will resonate with incoming students because of the class of 2020 is, um, it's different. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. And maybe that's a good place to, um, to end it. I think that they've um, definitely had a senior year like no other, and they're probably due for a freshman year like no other. First right. year, I should say, like no other. Um, but there will be, uh, nonetheless, many great opportunities, many great learning opportunities for them. Thanks for, for joining me, Dr. Malani. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharpstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen-McCusker and Spencer Greer, with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.